following sermon audio. The following sermon audio. The following sermon audio is a presentation of First International Baptist Church. Of First International Baptist Church of Copenhagen, Denmark. Today's teaching. Today's teaching. Today's teaching comes from FIBC Assistant Pastor. Assistant Pastor Austin Salisbury. Hello, podcast listener. You'll notice in this week's sermon audio that there are some glitches with the microphone. We apologize for this and uh, hope that it's not too distracting. The audio quality does get better as the uh, sermon goes on, so we hope that it's still an encouraging and uh, helpful message for you this week. Thank you so much for listening. You know, I was... um... I found the woman that I was going to marry very late in my life relative to most of my friends. I met Ashlyn and then everything changed and and actually we fell in love and I moved to her town to be close to her before we got married and it still took me like a year and a half to come to a place where I was ready to get married and and, uh, there was something holding me back and I have to add a disclaimer here, it had nothing to do with my lovely wife, okay? It was all me, right? So I, I had something inside of me that was keeping me from being able to make a commitment uh, to get married. And so I, I, I think I know now what I didn't know then. And that is, I think I know why I was uh, hesitant to get married, why I, was, why I was holding back. And I think the reason why was because I was scared. I was afraid and I saw marriage as uh, not, uh, 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 there were things about marriage that were restrictions and rules. I, I had this idea in my mind that, that marriage was a, kind of like a trap. Uh, and, and these were the things I would be giving up when I got married, that, that I would have no other woman in my life, right? There could be, I, I, couldn't, I could have no other woman except for my wife. I also realized that if I got married, then I would be living together uh, with someone for the rest of my life, and I would be with them all of the time. Like, all of the time. That's a lot of time. Um, also, I'd have to share all of my money and stuff. Uh, I'd have to raise my standard of grooming and cleanliness and tidiness, and I'd have to make myself presentable more often. Uh, marriage would force me to become less selfish and more selfless. And lastly, I would have to learn how to handle conflict in a very loving and patient way. So I, I realized that... I, all of these things were going to have to change. I think subconsciously I was afraid of that, right? And all the women in the room are probably just like, oh, he, he's so sweet to understand that. And now all the single guys are like, I can never do that. I can never change. But I realized that at some point these rules or restrictions of marriage that I was afraid of were actually the best parts of being in a loving marriage. It's going to access another level of relationship because I submitted to these rules of relationship. Now, uh, if it helps you to have a visual picture, for me, um, maybe these rules are not like uh, the bars of a jail cell and more like the bars of a garden gate. And by passing through into this new conversation, I would be passing through into a new level of beautiful relationship and depth. It was an opening of something into a newness, not a closing down of something. And that took me a really long time to figure that out. And those of you guys who are married, maybe you have had a similar story, or maybe you single guys, you have some of those same fears. 
uh, the same fears. But we often fear giving ourselves up completely, don't we? It's hard to imagine moving to a new place or starting a new career or entering into a permanent or long-lasting style relationship of any kind because it's scary sometimes to give ourselves up and go all in to a new relationship. Well, today we are going to continue our study from the Old Testament called Covenant People. So as we continue our study from the Old Testament, and we are traveling from Genesis, the beginning, all the way through to the Old Testament, we've come to a critical moment because Deuteronomy is the last book of the Bible that was written by Moses, or that Moses uh, uh, dictated to someone to write. And it's the last of the first five books of the Bible, uh, uh, both the Christian Bible and the Jewish Bible, and it is uh, coming to a change. Moses is about to hand the people over to another leader, Joshua, and the people of Israel who left Egypt are now about to go into the promised land. And so Moses is giving them all the rules and regulations and statutes and guidelines he can to try to help make them successful in the transition. And he's trying to help them prepare for this new life that they're going to have. Now, uh, you have to remember that the people of Israel... They had lived under Egypt for a long time. Egyptian laws, Egyptian culture, Egyptian religions, Egyptian uh, ways of life. And, and so they have to relearn a lot of things. This is the story of how Moses gave them the guidelines. So here's what Moses is uh, giving them in the book of Deuteronomy. It's a list, right? Now, if you just read Deuteronomy or you look at it casually, it looks like a list of do's and don'ts. And it's uh, kind of one of those books of the Bible, if we're really honest, uh, that you don't really want to read it because it seems so heavy with rules and regulations. But a little bit like I mentioned before, these rules and regulations, if you can zoom out and look at them, look at the heart of what Moses is all about, is it's not about the rules and the regulations themselves. It's about helping Israel enter into the best version of the relationship that they could have with each other and with God. So, yes, it's a list of rules, and there's a lot of do's, and there's a lot of don'ts, but these are supposed to be helpful. They're supposed to be a guide to make them successful. Here's the benefit if the people will follow what Moses has said. Listen to this chapter. He says, follow these statutes so that you may be strong, so that you may live long in the land, a land that the Lord your God cares for. And if you will obey my commandments to love the Lord your God and serve him with all of your heart, with all of your soul, he will give you rain for the land so that you may gather grain and your wine and your oil. Think about that. God wants the people to be successful. So successful that they bring in grain for bread, grapes for wine and oil to dip the bread in, I'm sure. That's what God wants for them. He wants them to be successful. So, the rules and statutes of God are meant to help them. Now, you may be saying to yourself, Austin, wait a second. This is the Old Testament. These are old rules for a culture lived in the Middle East a really, really long time ago. What in the world could they have to do with my life? This is Moses' rules for the Israelites long time ago. 
Don't we have Jesus and the New Testament and, and all these other things that, that kind of make these old laws obsolete? Well, I, I think that we have to be careful with that because, yes, these rules are for Israel, but listen to what Jesus said about the law and the prophets uh, when he's speaking about Moses. He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now, as I walk through today's sermon, I'm going to try to show some echoes of how Jesus' life and teaching actually support rather than contradict the things that Moses was telling the Israelites several centuries beforehand. Jesus wasn't saying brand new things. He was actually reinterpreting what the Old Testament uh, writers, especially Moses, was saying and making it plain for people to understand. So let's dive right into it. Five things. Five things uh, from the chapters 12 to 26 of Deuteronomy, which I think we can see Moses trying to give rules of honor to help the people live lives uh, in ancient Israel. Number one, if you're taking notes, number one, the Lord your God is one. The God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses is the only God. There is no other. This is the foundation of everything that Moses is saying. That the Israelites were coming out of um, a pantheistic culture. Now, some of you grew up in a culture of many gods in, uh, in parts of Africa, in Asia, in South America, all over the world. There are religions where there are many gods, are many worship, many versions of God. And what is unique about Israel is that they were to have one God, and his name was Yahweh. And he was the only God. And that was the basis for everything. So the Israelites had to relearn that. That was rule number one. And here's what Moses says in Deuteronomy chapter 13. He says, if your brother or your son or your daughters or your wife that you love or a friend who is as close to you as your own soul entices you secretly saying, let us go and serve other gods, you shall not yield to him or listen to him. Then later in Deuteronomy 18, he says this, When you enter the land of the Lord your God, do not learn to imitate the detestable ways of the nations there. Let no one be found among you who sacrifices his son or daughter in the fire, or who practices divination or sorcery, or interprets omens, or engages in witchcraft, or casts spells, or who is a medium, or a spiritualist, or consults the dead. <sighs> this is saying, when you come to this new land, there be people around you who worship all different kinds of things. You should not be like them. Now, how did Jesus echo that same idea? He said this to a young lawyer who came to Jesus and said, teacher, what's the most important thing? How do I inherit eternal life? He said, what is written in the law? Don't you know Jesus often answers a question with a question? He realizes the young lawyer probably knew the answer. He's a lawyer, and lawyers tend to have the answers to many questions that they ask, right? So Jesus is saying, what does the law say? How do you read it? And the young lawyer says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. Love God first. Keep him Today, in case you need a 21st parallel to this idea, think about your spouse. Think about a spouse, a couple you know, 
How willing are most spouses to share their spouse with someone else? My wife is not willing to share me with you. I'm sorry. And I'm not willing to share my wife with you. I'm sorry. That's just not an option. And that's how God feels about us. He says, I don't want to share you with other gods. I don't want your heart to be split into several parts so that on Monday you worship sports and on Tuesday you worship work and on Wednesday you worship money and on Thursday you worship food and on Friday. No, God says, no, I want all of you. There should be no other gods. That is our first act of worship. That was the command to the Israelites. Number two, remember and rejoice all that God has done. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen this before, but you've seen one of these videos or a, a photograph of a prisoner who's been wrongly imprisoned, a prisoner of war or a political prisoner, and they've been released. Maybe they're getting off of an airplane or they're leaving, leaving the jail and their family is waiting for them. If you haven't seen this photo, just picture it in your mind. The kids and the wife and the parents and the friends of the political uh, prisoner who's been locked up for 20 years and she's released or he's released and the family, you can imagine their faces and the prisoner, the freedom that they feel. Well, imagine an entire nation, thousands of people who were slaves in Egypt and then were released to freedom. The joy, the latent excitement that should have been in their hearts constantly. I was a prisoner, I was a slave, but now I'm not. That was the heartbeat that should have been inside the Israelites. And Moses tells them to remember, you were slaves and the one God, Yahweh, brought you out of Egypt. So remember and rejoice. He tells the Israelites to have parties, to celebrate the remembrance of the things God has done. And he gives them rules about that. He says, this time of year you should celebrate this, and this time of year you should celebrate this. And he gives them rules for that. And he says, you should also give freely because of what God has done for you. A little bit like what Alan was saying, when you've been given much, much is expected of you. When you remember the great things that someone has done for you, you are much more likely to want to give back. I love this tradition in Denmark when people say, talk fascist. I think this is a, a great thing. I wish we had this in, in English, or at least American English. Uh, uh, this thing of when you see someone who you, you enjoyed being with them the last time you were together, that you, when you see them the first time, you say, talk fascist. Thank you for the last time. It's a beautiful tradition. You're always thinking of the great things that you shared together the last time you were together. Well, God is commanding the people to do the same thing. Remember what God has done for you. And out of that, celebrate, rejoice, and give. I think Alan said it very well. This is why we give in the church. Side note. We don't ever give gifts of time or energy or money because we have to. That's not part of Christianity. Jesus doesn't need your money. God does not need your money. What God wants is a heart that remembers the good things he's done for us. He wants me to remember how I used to be lost and imprisoned, and he wants me to remember that I have been set free. And out of that, I give joyfully. It's a joy to help people that need my help. It's a joy to give my time and energy when, when I know all that I have been given. If you need a 
creative, artistic picture of this that is, uh, will make you laugh, will make you cry, and you'll never forget it. Uh, go home and watch Le Miserable. Talk about a movie or a, a story of someone who's been given a great gift and then spends the rest of their life trying to pay back the good things that they've been given. Jesus said this, you have many possessions, sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourself with wallets that do not grow old, with a treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief can take it from you, where no moth can destroy it, because where your treasure is, there is your heart. We give and rejoice and celebrate God, not because we have to, We don't have to come to church on Sunday. We celebrate because we're full of love. Now, number three, the rule of compassion. When you read the whole book of Deuteronomy, I was really surprised uh, rereading it, how much compassion there is in the book of Deuteronomy. I'll give you three examples um, from chapter 24. Moses is commanding the people to remember something. He says, uh, here are some rules about how to be compassionate. He says, if a man has recently married, he must not be sent off to war. He must not have any special duties laid upon him. For one year, he is free to stay at home with his wife and bring her happiness and be married. Isn't that sweet? It's like, um, it's like a one-year honeymoon sponsored by God. I wish I would have uh, read that uh, when we got married. I would have just taken the year off for spiritual reasons, right? Right? It's a, it's, a, it's a holy sponsored extended honeymoon. Listen to this from chapter 24, verse 14. Uh, this is amazing from the Old Testament. Do not take advantage of any hired person who is poor or needy, whether he is a brother Israelite or an alien living among you in your towns. Pay him his wage each day before sunset because he is poor and he counts on that money to eat. Listen to this from chapter or verse 19. When you are harvesting in your fields, remember this culture was primarily a agrarian culture. They farmed, right? He says, when you're harvesting in your fields and you accidentally leave some on the ground, do not go back and get it, but leave that extra for the alien, the fatherless, and the widow. If you remember the story of Ruth, Ruth actually stays alive and keeps her mother-in-law, Naomi, alive because of this extra grain that was left on the ground by the farmers long after the law came from Moses. When there's extra, when there's, when there's more than you need, give it away. That's compassion. These are just a few examples from Deuteronomy about sharing with others and, and showing compassion. And, and if we were to list all the ways that Jesus was compassionate, it would take a whole sermon series. I, I'm not going to go into it, but I will remind you of this verse from Matthew 11. Jesus said, come to me, all of you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you for, and learn from me, for I am gentle and I am lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus says, come to me and I will show you compassion. No matter what your past, no matter your current situation or sin, I will show you compassion. So what's our link in the 21st century about compassion? Well, the way that we treat others matters to God, and every human life is sacred. And so when I honor the sacredness of others' lives, whether they are fellow Christians or not, whether they speak my language or not, whether they uh, are in my same social group or not, 
Anytime I honor someone else and I treat them with compassion, I'm worshiping the Lord. It's a rule of right relationship that every person has inherent value. So, compassion. I'll go quickly through these last two. I'll try. Number four, justice for all. The book of Deuteronomy says a lot about justice, specifically in chapters 16 and 19. I encourage you to read those um, in detail. But here are a few ways that uh, Deuteronomy talks about justice. Uh, and to show that God cares about justice in our lives, it says this uh, in Deuteronomy. He talks about justice in property rights, in the difference between murder and accidental death, the need for multiple witnesses whenever there is a claim of wrongdoing. It talks about investigating uh, a crime. It talks about the role of elders and judges and, and priests. It talks about capital punishment. But if you could boil down this idea of justice for all into one Bible verse, it comes uh, in Deuteronomy. It comes from chapter 16, verse 19. Listen to this. You shall not pervert justice. You shall not show partiality. You shall not accept a bribe. For bribes blind the eyes of the wise and subvert the cause of the righteous. Justice and only justice you shall follow, that you may live and inherit the land the Lord your God is giving to you. This is not an idea that has grown stale. When your apartment is broken into or your bike is stolen or someone uh, falsely uh, charges you on your debit card for something that you didn't buy, you want justice. We do want justice. And it's the expectation that Moses is communicating is we all want justice. And so we should show justice to others This is a rule of right relationship amongst people. When we show justice in our lives, we worship God. Think about that. When you act fairly in your jobs, when you act fairly in your families, your neighborhoods, when you do the right thing, you are worshiping God, who is just. The question we have to ask is, are we concerned enough with justice? Do we care if others are treated justly? Do we work for justice in our neighborhoods, in our cities, in the world? When we see wrongdoing, are we willing to work towards justice? Just some food for thought. And the fifth and final uh, theme that I will talk about today is this, is conflict. Now, in the context of Deuteronomy, Moses is talking about war. He says, you will go to war. I mean, this is the ancient world. I mean, this is, this is gladiator, but back a little farther, all right? This is swords and shields and spears and um, chariots pulled with the spikes and the gold on it. I mean, this is the ancient world. They will go to war. And the reality is that war is always horrible, whether it's the ancient world, whether it's the modern world. War is full of horrors. And some of you have touched that in your lives through various military service or your home countries. Some of you may never experience that, but you will experience conflict. And so uh, Moses's rules here for war can also be interpreted as being rules for conflict. They show remarkable compassion and a very modern sense of uh, justice in the rules for war. Let me just briefly mention some of these because I think you'll be surprised 
at how modern and forward-thinking and radical for the time period these rules for conflict or war were in the eyes of God and in the people of Israel. He said this, rule number one, be brave. Don't be afraid when you face conflict because God goes with you wherever you go. Number two, he said, there are special circumstances when it comes to being a soldier. I'm assuming here it doesn't speak specifically that women were excluded, but the assumption is that women were not in the Israeli, uh, Israelite army. Uh, it was men. But listen to this. If you had just built a house, you could be exempt from service so that you could live in your house and enjoy the labor of building a home. If you had just gotten married, like I mentioned before, you could avoid military service for a year. If you had just planted a vineyard, you were not required to serve in the army until you had tasted the fruits from your vineyard. Think about that. Concessions made for special circumstances. The one that touches me the most is when Moses writes, if any of the men among you is afraid and trembling and unable to fight, let him go home so that he will not sow fear amongst his brothers. Concessions of compassion made in the army. Now, when it comes to warfare itself, it says, we will fight bravely with God on our side, but we will not be animals. It says, before you battle, you will offer terms of peace. When you come to war, because there cannot be peace, you will spare women and children. And when you make war, you will not destroy things unnecessarily. How compassionate. How unlike what we think of when we think of the ancient world. We think of barbarians and cities burning, and we think of all this uh, just violence on a massive ancient scale, we see God saying, Israel, you will do it differently. You will show compassion. Even in times of warfare, God cares about the hearts of men and women, the way that we behave towards our enemies who stand against us. I can't help but think of Jesus hanging on the cross, having been betrayed by his friends, falsely accused by corrupt officials, brutally beaten, stripped naked, spat upon, hung up to die on a cross, humiliated in front of his mother among common thieves. His enemies were all around him, and what did he say? Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Even in the face of conflict, Jesus shows compassion. God cares about the way that we handle conflict in our marriages, in our businesses, in our communities. Even when there's conflict, we can worship God. Now, in conclusion, Deuteronomy 12 through 26 is not an easy section of the Bible to read. I'll just confess that. I don't think the preacher is supposed to say it, but it's true. It's not always easy to find the heart of these ancient texts. But I think if we look at it as a guide meant to help people in a new chapter of their existence, we see it in a new way. Yes, Moses gave his people lots of rules to follow, lots of do's and lots of don'ts, but it was to help them live in harmony with each other, to live in a right relationship with their neighbors, and to live in a worshipful way to the God who had done so much to rescue them from Egypt. And what we can learn for today 
for 21st century Copenhagen, Denmark, uh, for those of us with iPads and iPhones and, and busy schedules and, and all kinds of modern problems that we think have nothing to do with the lives of these people long ago, listen to, um, to this from a commentary. It says that true worship is not just what happens on Sunday morning. Worship is a heart of reverence for God that finds expression in every aspect of our lives, every day of the week, no matter what we are endeavoring to do. We worship God by coming together as his people. We worship by turning to him for guidance rather than to other gods of the age. We worship him with our possessions, in our giving. We worship him by showing compassionate love to others, by being honest in our business dealings and in our disputes. We can even worship God in the way we conduct war and experience conflict because we can show that we trust him, that we are without fear, that we seek to save the lives even of our enemies, and that we are being careful not to destroy the land in which we must live together. God wants all of you, and he wants all of me. Our hearts, our minds, our souls, our strengths, and in surrendering, surrendering ourselves to that kind of loving relationship, we gain more than we ever thought we could have. We gain more than we could have ever imagined. Now, I didn't know what I was fully getting myself into when I got married. I don't think any married couple does. But I do know this, is that now, three years later, on the other side of uh, our wedding day, I know and understand and love my wife more than I ever thought was possible. And I think for each of us, there will be moments in our lives where God is saying, I want more of you. I want you to surrender your, uh, your life to me in a new way. I want all of you. And, and we're faced with, with the, 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 the struggle of free will. We have to, God gives us the option of saying, yes, Lord. And he also gives us the option of saying, no, I'm not ready. Or no, I don't want that much intimacy. The question for us today is, how is God asking you and me to surrender today? And will we be willing to do that so that we can receive the full blessing he has planned for each of us? Let's pray. This has been a presentation of First International Baptist Church of Copenhagen, Denmark. To listen to more sermon podcasts or to learn more about FIBC, please visit www.fibc.vk or facebook.com forward slash FIBCCPH. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.